a number of years ago, I had a man come to my office and he said, uh, man, I, I'm in trouble. My, my car is on empty and uh, I, I have nothing. And he gave me this story about his mother's in the hospital out of town and and uh, he has to go and he's on his way there. He had been called from the emergency room and and he can't get there because he doesn't have enough gas. His car is on empty and he's concerned about whether she's going to live or die. And uh, he just had to get there. And all he knew to do was to come to me and, and see if I could fill his uh, gas or his tank with a tank of gas. So I said, well, I'll do that for you. Follow me to the gas station and uh, I'll take care of it. And so I paid for his gas. I filled it up. And if he were to go to the hospital as it was urgent, as he was saying, he was on his way, she's in the emergency room, they're not sure she's going to live or not, he would have turned left when he left the gas station. After I filled up his gas, he turned right and went the opposite direction of the hospital. And it was at that point I realized I've probably just been lied to. People will lie to you to get what they want. A number of years ago, my dad, my dad's been at Chester for 50 years and there was a man came and knocked on the door and he said, hi, my name's so-and-so. I work, uh, I just got a job at the pottery and I don't get a paycheck until next week. And I, I've, I've gotten this place to rent. I've got to have rent or they, they'll kick me out on the street. And, and as soon as I get my paycheck, I will come back and I'll pay you. Well, my dad paid for his rent that day, and we never saw the man again. Until about five years later, he decided to come back by. And same story, identical story. I just got a job at the, the pottery, and I, I just got this house, and I've got to pay the rent, or they'll kick me out on the street. I get my paycheck next week. And my dad said, your memory must be worse than mine. Because I remember you coming by five years ago and you said the very same thing. And the guy cursed and just turned and and walked away. Another five years pass. The same man comes and knocks on the side of our, on our side door. And when my dad comes to the door, he just turns around and walks. (laughs) Preachers aren't supposed to stay a place that long, I guess. But, uh, anyway, people will lie to you. That's the point that I'm making. And it may cost us money when they lie to us, but I'll tell you, they can cost us a whole lot more than money. They can cost us our life. They can cost us our soul. I want to share with you a story from the Old Testament as we've been doing some character studies. I want to tell you about a a prophet. If you have your Bible, open it to the book of 1 Kings chapter 13. In 1 Kings chapter 13, I want to give you a little bit of background and then we're just going to draw out some applications from this Old Testament narrative. In 1 Kings chapter 13, Israel had already been divided. The people of God, there were the northern tribes uh, and the southern tribes. The northern tribes were called Israel. The southern tribes were called Judah. They divided over, well, taxes, uh, you know, uh, to begin with. Every king to the north was wicked, They followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam, who led the whole thing in the first place. 
The southern kingdom had some good kings intermixed, uh, intermingled among a bunch of other ungodly kings as well. But on this occasion, the northern kingdom, they're not doing rights. And so God sends a prophet from the southern kingdom to go up and prophesy to this northern kingdom. And he went to Bethel. That is a place where Jeroboam, when he first divided and there was this, he, he wanted the people to worship at Dan and Bethel to make it more convenient for them so they wouldn't have to go all the way back to Jerusalem for fear that going back to their old worship grounds, they might think twice about this division and they might decide to come back home and not do this thing. He might lose control. And so he, he set up new places of worship. And, and this prophet was told, I want you to go to Bethel, where this altar has been built, where people are worshiping me. And I want you to cry out against it. And I want you to go straight there, and I want you to come back a different way. And while you're there, I don't want you to eat anything or to drink anything. I don't want you to turn from your way. I want you to go do your job and come back and don't eat or drink anything until you get back. And this young prophet was courageous because he went to this northern kingdom and cried out at the altar against the altar and talked about the idolatry that was taking place there, and he condemned them for it. You don't think that takes courage? I mean, it's not even, this is, well, how many people would have the courage to go into the midst of a group that's doing one thing and say, guys, you're all wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. Here's what God says to do. And he's a young guy at that. He doesn't have years of experience that older men might have. And so he goes to this place and he prophesies against them. And they take him and the king sticks his finger out to point at him, and his hand is afflicted, and he can't even draw it back to him. And, and he, pray, he asks the prophet, pray for me to restore my hand. You might think he would have asked for something other than just having his hand restored, but that's all he was concerned about. And the prophet prayed for him, his hand was restored, and he started on his way back home. He had fulfilled his mission. But on the way back home, there was a prophet who had heard what he had done, an older prophet. And he said to his servants, saddle my donkey, I want to go find this guy. And he found him and he said, hey, you know, you're the prophet. And he said, yes, I'm the prophet, I was there. And he said, come to my house, come visit with me a while. And he said, oh, no, I can't. Because the Lord told me that I'm to go up and do this mission. I'm to come home and I'm not to turn aside. I'm not to take any water or any food while I'm gone. And he said, ah, it's okay. You see, the angel of the Lord came to me and told me to come to you and tell you to come to my house. It's okay. But in verse 18, we have that statement, but he lied to him. The angel of the Lord didn't come to him and say that. 
He spoke that of his own authority. And this man, rather this young prophet, rather than listening to what God had told him, listened to what this man had told him. And he turned aside and he ate and he drank. And while he was there, the Lord even spoke through that old prophet to tell that young prophet, you're not going to make it home alive because you wouldn't listen to what I said your life will be required of you. And it was. He was killed by a lion on the side of the road on his journey home. And the Bible says that the prophet, the older prophet, I don't know if it's out of guilt or what, but he went to find the body of the man that was killed. And there was the lion on the side of the road, hadn't eaten the body, hadn't harmed the donkey, and uh, he took his body and then, then buried it. But here's this story, a sad story. This guy was doing the right thing. He's a young prophet, energetic, doing the right thing, calling out those who were living in sin, but he didn't listen to God. He listened to a lie, and he paid with his life. What can we learn from this story? Of all the things that have happened during the history of man, why would God leave that one, record this one for us in 1 Kings 13? There must be a reason. Are there lessons there that we can make application from which we can make application? Let's look and see. First of all, notice what he um, was prophesying against and why he was doing this, why he was sent. He was sent there because Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 12 had erected two golden calves. Can you imagine the people of God worshiping golden calves? I mean, how do you even do that? I don't even know how you'd think that way. After the children of Israel were taken from Egypt and freed from bondage, and and they saw the miracles and the power of the God of heaven, for them to erect then a golden calf because Moses spent a little too long with God on Mount Sinai, it's just unfathomable. But they did. And here are these people of God, people of God who know better. They know the story of Moses and Aaron and the golden calf. They've, they've, they have history. They've had a history of dealing and God dealing with them. And, and yet here's this king that says, Hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to make two golden calves. We're going to worship. Really? They went for that. God says, Can't tolerate that. I want you to go up there and cry out against that. They also, in chapter 12, verse 29, uh, they had changed the place of worship. God said the worships take place in Jerusalem. Jeroboam said, Jerusalem's too far away. I'll make it convenient for you. Oh, it sounds so loving. And isn't that the way it works when a person is trying to get a person to leave truth? that They make what they're selling very palatable. They, they make it marketable. Hey, you don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. That's a long journey. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll set up a place in Dan and Bethel up here in northern Israel where you, you won't spend a week traveling. You only just spend a day. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about you and your kids and out on the road that long. How about that? It sounds so nice. But it, there was ulterior motives behind it. He was manipulating them. 
trying to keep them from being reconciled to their brethren to the south. He changed the priesthood. Look at chapter 12, verse 31. In the law of Moses, according to what God commanded, the priests were to come from the tribe of Levi. Jeroboam's going to say, you know what? I, hey, if you want to be a priest, if you've got a burning desire in your heart to do that, you can be a priest. doesn't matter what tribe you're from. And, and so he seems so much more fair-minded. How many times have you heard people say, oh, can you believe there are still churches today that won't let women preach? Can you believe there are churches today that still restrict and, and legislate against people having this kind of freedom? Not us. Man, we believe you ought to be able to use your talents. And if you've got a heart for that, then go for it. And, and that's the same message that Jeroboam was preaching. God told this prophet, cry out against that. He had changed the feast days. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 32, they, they, they set it up on a different day, and he said it was like the feasts that were practiced in Judah, but it wasn't the same thing. He changed the month, changed the dates. So that's why the prophet was called to go up there in the first place. And I'll tell you, there's much commendable about the prophet for going and doing this. I don't know this young man's name. I don't know anything about him. But he had courage to speak out against wickedness and to the people who need it. It's one thing to sit in a group of people that all agree with you and y'all think the same way and you can bat back and forth ideas and, and philosophies that y'all agree on. That's one thing. But when you stand and, and say, this is wrong to people who are doing wrong, that takes courage. And this young man had it. We need more people like that young man who have courage to go before a person and say, hey, you know what? Worldliness is a sin. We can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. Do you think the church has a problem with worldliness? Do you think that that's one of the problems? I think it's one of the major problems in the church today. We are not heavenly-minded people. We're worldly-minded people to an extent larger than any of us would like to admit. We don't think enough about heaven and eternity and, and souls and the value of souls. And we get so caught up in what's happening today and tomorrow and what I'm going to buy and where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do and, and what I'm going to possess. Worldliness is a sin. We can't take our eyes off of God. We need people to cry out against that. James 4 and verse 4 says to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. Materialism is a problem today. We have everything. And if we don't have it, we want it. And we live our lives in pursuit of it. We pursue things that will perish sometimes with greater diligence than things that will never perish. And if that's my priorities, then I've got a problem with materialism. I can't help but think of Proverbs chapter 30, where the wise man says to God, I would like to have two things granted to me before I die. One is that I not be rich, and the other is that I not be poor. And he says, why? Because if I were poor, I might be 
prone to steal, and that would dishonor your name. And if I was rich, I might be prone to disrespect you and say, "Ah, who's God? I'm doing fine on my own. He recognized the danger in wealth, possessions, materialism. We need people to cry out against that. We need people who will cry out against lukewarmness, complacency. Yeah, I obey the gospel. I'm a member of the church. I've got everything going well. But um, what, what are you doing now? I know that that one-time act of obedience where you entered the family of God is essential and it's important, and now you're a child of God, but now how are you living? What are you doing? We need people to to realize that just going through the motions and being run-of-the-mill is not what God wants. The Laodiceans were like that. They were people who had obeyed the gospel, but they had grown lukewarm and... Jesus, you remember, says, I'll, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I don't want lukewarm Christians. I'd rather be cold or hot than to be lukewarm. So I give the guy credit. This prophet goes and speaks not a popular message to a people who would not have received it well. And he did it anyway. We need more people like him. But let me tell you another lesson that I can learn from this, and it's this. It's possible to believe a lie. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to understand, and it's, it's hard to comprehend that a religious person would deliberately hurt me. But it happens. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, There are false prophets and false teachers that have gone out among you, teaching destructive heresies. Why would anybody use religion to hurt people? I don't know the whys. I mean, I guess I could figure some of them out. Manipulation, uh, you know, arrogance, pride, having authority over other people. I can think of reasons, but it's just hard to comprehend that you see a religious person and that they would be doing you harm. But it happens. First John chapter 4 and verse 1 says... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's a prophet of God, and he tells another prophet of God, hey, oh, don't worry about what the Bible says. Don't worry about what God said to you. He said to me this, so come on over to my house. He believed a lie, and that lie was given to him by a religious man. And he lost his life because of it. Listen, be people of the book. Don't, hey, don't follow what I say because I say it. What if I'm one of those people? Or what if I'm just mistakenly, I have good intentions, but I'm mistakenly wrong, and I tell you things that are untrue. Might you still pay a price if you follow a lie? You can I don't think there was any bad will or spirit of rebellion in this young man. He was foolish to accept the lie of a man rather than believe the word of God. It was just a a moment of foolishness, and he paid for it dearly. We can do the same thing if we're not careful. We need to weigh what a person says against the word of God. That's what they did in Acts 17 and verse 11. That They were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Bereans were, in that they received the word 
with all readiness of mind. They were ready to listen and to evaluate and to examine. And they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Therefore, verse 12, they believed in the things that they were saying. Not until they searched the Scriptures did they believe. Don't accept anyone's word without scriptural authority behind it. Because they can lie to you whether willingly or unwittingly. Here's another thing that I can learn from this lesson is that partial obedience really isn't obedience at all. It's it's disobedience. I mean, what if I were to say, hey, hey, what's the big deal? Why kill him on the way home? Because he did what you said. Well, most of what you said, he did go up there and he did cry out and he did start home, like you said, but somebody, you know, it was just that one thing. But he had done all the other stuff. Partial obedience amounts to disobedience. Because when, when well, here's the deal. When, when I partially obey, why wouldn't I fully obey? Well, the reason is because somewhere along the way, my will takes a fork with his will, and I choose to do what I want to do rather than what he said. Uh, if if um, I left the house and I said, hey, when I come home, Matthew, Amory, I want the vacuum to be run. I want your beds made. And if I come home and I see that they've run the vacuum, but they didn't make their beds, did they obey me? No. Well, they did some of what I said, but it was disobedient because they apparently didn't want to make their bed. And when their want was different than my want, their want won out. That's disobedience. There's no such thing as partial obedience. That's disobedience. This prophet of God disobeyed God and he paid for it. Here's another thing that we learn. Um, We can be responsible for the ruin of another person. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 says, no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. We're going to influence a person, whether for good or for bad, but we're going to influence them. This prophet, I hope he felt guilty. I hope he repented and and prayed for forgiveness, but the guilt that he must have borne bore because of what he had done, I hope it weighed on him. He caused another man, a young man, a young promising prophet of God, a courageous prophet of God to lose his life. It can happen today. We can decide to to get upset about something and we go on a spiritual hiatus for a while. And I might eventually get over it. It may be a month, it may be two months, it may be three months, it may be a year or two. And I finally decide to come to my sentence senses and I come back and get my life right. But what happens during that time when I'm away? Who have I hurt? Who have I influenced? Might it be that my children that suffer because of my choice? Might it be that they are the ones who grow up not having a relationship with God during a very critical time in their life because I got mad about this or that or the other? It happens all the time. People have an impact on other people and can adversely affect their eternal destiny. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, He said, 
I know offenses will come, but woe unto them by whom they come. People are going to make mistakes, but don't be the person to cause somebody to make one of those mistakes. For he says it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Don't be the person who causes someone else to stumble. I don't want to stand before God someday and say, the reason I'm lost is because of you, your attitude, your direction, your example, your teaching. I don't want that to happen. But it can. This story tells me. And then here's the last thing. We don't always live up to our potential. And there's a point of self-examination. This young man looks so promising. He has courage. He has conviction. He goes and has the intent to do what God tells him to do. And he goes up there and he executes for the most part. And if he just would have come home... I wonder if there would have been chapters dedicated to his life as there were for Elijah and Elisha and Samuel and Isaiah and some other great prophets of God. Those things will never be written and never recorded because he blew it. He didn't live up to his potential. He destroyed himself and what good he could have accomplished later in life. Could that be me? Could I have everything? And God has blessed me with so many things. He's blessed me with a mind. He's blessed me with intelligence. Uh, and I have uh, wealth and good health. And I have time on my hands. And, and I have friends. And I live in comfort. And what am I doing with all that? Has all this been placed in my hands and then I, I do nothing with it? Are there people who have come to know Jesus, who have enjoyed salvation from past sins, who have failed to live up to their potential, who have never brought anyone closer to Jesus, who have never reached out and caused people to know of the compassion of Christ? Are there people who have have been so cold and so calloused that they have never painted a picture of the grace and the mercy of Jesus for them. How much of a waste is it for me to obey the gospel of Christ and then not let that change my life and show others who I am and what I have become? The Bible tells us that, well, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we're all part of the body of Christ and there is something we can do. You may be the little pinky in the body. You may be an eye. You may be a hand. You may be a foot. But you you have a place in the body of Christ and um, you need to use it. You need to contribute. So I think I see why. At least here are four reasons why God has chosen to record the story of this Old Testament prophet for us. And I hope it serves to remind us and to warn us of what can happen in our lives. I want to be used by God. I want you to be used by God. But listen, there's a danger 
that someone might lie to you. It may be marketing. Oh, do this. There's so much fun in this. It's so good. But we're warned that some people call things that are bad good and good things bad. Just because they say it's good doesn't make it good. Don't be led astray by the lies of man. There are people, be on guard. There are people who would rob you of your salvation. They would rob you of your home in heaven. Don't let them do it. Don't allow anything or anyone turn you from listening to God's word and following his instruction. If we do that, then who can stop us? following His Word, following His will, walking in it. You have a home in heaven. It's only when we allow someone to deceive us and to believe their lie that we would ever lose it. Don't give up. Stay in His will, and you'll have a home in heaven. If you're a child of God this morning, and you have maybe not been faithful, maybe if God were to send a A prophet among us, he might have a few things to say to you. If that's the case, repent, seek his favor, and he will be gracious to you. If you're a child of God, or if not, if you're not a child of God, and you need to be baptized this morning, and, and you want to, you know, I I want to begin walking. I want to begin living for him. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that and you want to be saved, humble yourself. And we'll assist you in that, and you become a child of God and heir of heaven. If you need to respond to the invitation, won't you come as we stand together and sing?